Hello and welcome to the Aged Care Enrichment or ACE podcast brought to you by Silver Adventures. Every fortnight we invite aged care industry experts, thought leaders and passionate individuals to share their knowledge and experience with us as we examine ways to improve the quality of care and the quality of life for seniors. I'm your host Ash Deneef and on today's episode we're talking to Kelly Curtin. Kelly is a journalist and author who is outspoken about the end of life and the necessity of having difficult conversations about dying. Following the death of her mum in 2009, Kelly wrote the book What Will I Wear to Your Funeral, which takes an honest look at the last months of her mum's life and the important conversations they were having towards the end. Kelly is also an advocate for Advanced Care Planning Week and the host of the Upfront About Breast Cancer podcast. This was a surprisingly fun and honest conversation and Kelly is really unafraid to delve into uncomfortable territory. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Kelly Curtin. Hey, sorry, it's me again. Just a quick note to say that you'll hear a little bit of noise in the line in this interview, but it really doesn't detract from the value and importance of what Kelly is saying. Anyway, enjoy. Kelly, thank you so much for joining us today. Pleasure to be here. Can we start with you just giving us a little bit of your backstory? My life was fairly ordinary and normal and tracking as it usually would until I was told that my mother had breast cancer and that she was going to die. So that uh, flipped everything on its head for us. Me personally, my immediate family, it was a massive shock because even though, you know, at some time in your life, everyone's going to die when actually it is staring at you, it's something very, very hard to, to deal with. Yeah. You wrote your book, What Will I Wear to Your Funeral, about the experience of your mum passing away, right? Can you talk a bit about the the book for us? So you're right. It's called What Will I Wear to Your Funeral? And that is a really confronting question, but it's also one of the many, many questions you have to ask yourself when someone you love dies. And the conversations that I had with my mother before her death was so important to me because I didn't want to be left having to guess what she would want after she died. So the book is very much about lots of cups of tea, lots of glasses of red wine, lots of shades of bright lipstick, and the beautiful, beautiful conversations. Some of them were really tough. Some of them were really funny. But the the important conversations that I knew I had to have with her whilst I still could, and I'm just, every day I'm grateful that I did because I think it made the most profound difference not only to her final week but also as part of our grieving process moving forward. Mm. And the book is... The book is very honest with the conversations you're having and also with your feelings about those conversations. Some of my favourite parts of it are, are where you're very honestly acknowledging how selfish you're being. How was the experience of being so vulnerable with the book? Well, I knew that if I was going to write a memoir, and it is a memoir, although it's essentially, it could be anybody's story. I'd like to think of it very much as a love story. But when you're writing a memoir, you have to commit to being authentic because otherwise their holes appear all over the place. Mm. So I knew that if I was going to tell the story, it had to be warts and all, and that also included being honest, because originally the book started just as a record, a journal for me, and 
for my children so that we would remember those really special times that we had with my mum, not just in the final weeks, but uh, throughout my whole life. And also I hoped that it would bring a few laughs to people and also make others feel less alone when they're going through a similar journey. And everybody's experience of losing a loved one is different. It's always different. So it was never going to be a template for this is how you should do it or this is what I suggest. It's just what we did. And Mm. I think it just kept it real because, you know, even in the saddest of times, in the worst of times, the world continues to turn and, you know, children still need feeding and you still have to have a shower and uh, there's still school runs to be made and that's part of, that's part of the beauty of life and, and also a real reminder that nothing really stops. You, everything has to keep going and not even cancer and not even death will make time stand still. And you've said that you're, um, that you're passionate about the very unpopular topic of conversations about death. Can you talk about that a bit? Yes, it's a real um, crowd stopper, isn't it? <laughs> Saying, hey, you know, <laughs> let's, let's talk about dying, let's talk about death. I think the thing is, is that largely people don't want to talk about dying because they find it's, it's fear. Mm. People are fearful of dying and they're fearful of dying, I think, because death is largely unknown. We don't know what happens after death. It also makes you feel very vulnerable and people don't like to feel vulnerable mm. uh, or out of control. But what I found And it wasn't because I thought, oh, look, I'm going to have all these conversations with mum and this is going to make it all better. It happened, it's only with hindsight. And having lost my father when I was much younger at 21, he died suddenly. Hmm. So there were no final conversations. There were no goodbyes. It was quick, so there was no suffering. He died of a heart attack. And because my mother was still around, she was left to make all the decisions. But as your final parent dies, you know that all those decisions are going to be left to you. And I didn't want to muck it up. Mm. I, didn't, I didn't want to have to guess. And my mother was my best friend. We were extremely close. So if anybody was supposed to know, it should have been me or my brothers. Mm-hmm. But as we got closer to what was going to be inevitably her death, I became profoundly aware and concerned that I was going to muck it up. And look, you could certainly say, well, there's no wrong or right, but it is a burden that those left behind are going to have to carry. Mm. And so when I was having those conversations with mum and I'd say, okay, when do you want to stop the treatment? I, I didn't want to be left with that decision. I didn't want to be the one to say stop having that medication now, which would have expediated the the process of her actual death. Mm. I didn't want to have to choose her casket because that's the other thing. When when decisions are left to someone other than the person concerned, as a way of expressing love or gratitude or, you know, importance of a family member, you feel like you've got to spend money. Mm. And one of the things mum said to me was, don't go and spend money on a casket. It's going up in smoke. Like, that's ridiculous. But Frankly, we didn't want to look tight. I'm like, well, if I wheel you out in a cardboard box, we're going to look undignified. 
well. And it, it ended up looking beautiful because we decorated it with the kids' handprints and it was absolutely magnificent, mm. magnificent and it was actually quite therapeutic as well. But all those decisions that if you don't make them, they're going to lead to someone else. Mm-hmm. And for some people it's important that they have that choice. For others, they think, well, I don't care, I'll be dead. But maybe spare a thought for the person that's going to be left behind to arm and ah about those decisions and desperately wanting to make the right one. But if it hasn't been articulated, then you're only ever just guessing. And there's been extraordinary research to, to show that those who have the conversation with their loved one, those left behind, are far less likely to suffer anxiety or depression several months on. Right, so you can see how it contributes to an increased quality of life to be able to have those conversations earlier, right? Improvement in the quality of life for everyone Mm. because for the person concerned, whether they're terminally ill or have a chronic disease or even, you know, die suddenly, if they've had the conversation, the research shows that they feel like they're no longer a burden. Mm. There is also evidence to suggest that those who do make their wishes known feel relief because they don't have to worry about care that they don't wish to have. They get to make the choice as to what what they perceive as a good quality of life. And in many cases, it reduces dramatically the effect of unwanted intervention. The number of people who don't end up in ICU because they've articulated their wishes not to be resuscitated, not to be on life support, that all as a result of having had a conversation with a loved one, a carer or a medical professional well in advance of that happening. And let's face it, no one really knows when it's going to happen. Mm. But if, if you've had it earlier, then it's done. And no one says it's set in stone. You can, I remember, I think my mother had said to me in my 20s, you know, there was that Bette Midler song from Beaches, Wind Beneath My Wings, and it used mm-hmm. to come on regularly on the radio. She'd say, oh, make sure you play that at my funeral. And 30-odd years later, I'm sitting beside her and I'm like, so that Bette Midler song, Wind Beneath My Wings, she goes, oh, oh, God, no. No, no, <laughs> you always told me that that's exactly what you would like. She said, well, that was 30 years ago, not now. So it's yeah, prerogative to change one's mind always. Yeah. I guess that uh, one of the things that I really like about your book is that there are a lot of those conversations in the book, but you don't shy away from how difficult and emotional they can be. And I think it's one thing for us to sit here and say, you should have the conversations, but knowing that they're difficult and knowing that they'll be emotional. Do you have any, any thoughts about how to enter into those conversations? Everyone's different. And what is important to one family is not important to another. Uh, There there is no template. In the book, I mentioned how at one point I just found it incredibly unfair and yet my mother was 70 and she had grown children and grandchildren. So there was a lot to be thankful for. And we'd be sitting in the chemo ward and there'd be younger people who had a whole life ahead of them and I would feel compassion and horrible. But Mm. if I was brutally honest with myself, which I was in the book, it was like, yeah, but She's my mother and I still want her around. Like I'm not, I'm not about to trade her place for somebody else's. And, yes, possibly not my proudest moment, 
but it was just that's what it was. And I think honesty, honesty is is the only mm. way to have those sort of conversations, even if it's to declare straight up, I feel awkward about having this conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, this this hurts. I'm scared. Honesty. Quite often, someone who is well, when we're talking about someone who's terminally ill, they don't want to talk about it with a loved one because they don't want to upset. Mm. I think it's a very individual process. Some people have a warped sense of humour, like my family, mm-hmm. and we argue and fight and we'll rib each other about, you know, who's going in a in the cheaper box and and it, it can all be done with a bit of humour because. Like most things in life, the big milestones we plan for, we plan for births, we plan for marriages, we plan for 21st, big, big milestones in our life. We never think twice about putting great effort to make sure that it goes as planned. And yet when it comes to the bookend of life, you know, that you're born and then you die and no one's an exception in this case. That's one thing that we don't tend to plan for. And it's, it, again, it's like any other milestone. Some people will, will plan it down to what flowers they would like at their service, what sort of service, mm. who should sit where, what colours to wear, and others will just do the bare bones. And I think that more than anything is the bare bones. And the bare bones has to be what is important to you. Uh, from an advanced care planning point of view, for for which I'm an ambassador, that's very much about encouraging people to, well, ideally have it recorded, but otherwise have a conversation that articulates what you would like done in your medical care if you are not in a position to communicate it mm-hmm. for whatever reason. And and I think that. No. Is it going to make a huge difference if the flowers at your funeral aren't what you might have picked? No. But sometimes the surprising little things will give you comfort. One of the questions I asked my mother was, how do I look after your orchid? Mm -hmm. She'd had that orchid for 20 years and I knew it was going into my care and I didn't want to be the one to kill it. (laughs) And I don't, well, I didn't have a have a green thumb but we've just recently marked my mother's 10th anniversary and that orchid looks amazing it's and still going. It, wow. it's still going <laughs> and it brings me such joy so quite often it's the little things it's the little things that will bring loved ones comfort many many years on because of what might be a seemingly insignificant conversation it's about just starting the conversation and you don't have to have it all in one go it doesn't have to be incredibly detailed it's about breaking that ice it's like anything you know good old good advertising just do it Mm. just do it take you don't have to climb the mountain in one session you just have to have that first conversation ask one question over the period of a couple of weeks and that could be whether you're the carer or the, the loved one. It, it doesn't have to be as full on. And the word dying doesn't always have to come up. It's about actually recording the memories as well as your plan, mm. your plans for good 
quality of life, no matter how long that life is left. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's, when you were talking about the orchid, it reminded me of another another part of the book where you, you really wanted to learn to sew from from your mum, right? <laughs> and you, you really wanted to get these Santa sacks down. You wanted to have the technique so you could keep it going and, and it eventually fell away. And I, that feels like a very an honest thing for it to be something that feels like a nice idea, but in reality, how, how possible is it? From what you're saying, it sounds like the tone of it is just be very honest about what you care about. Well, it is, and it, it had a certain romance to it. Yeah, <laughs> Mum had always sewed the sand sack for the children, and she was a florist by trade, but when she retired and basically became an adoring nana, she'd sew the children night dresses and pyjamas and twirling skirts and headbands. And it, it was almost like I felt like I needed to carry on the tradition. I wasn't really that interested. I just thought I should. And so we tried it. And like anything, when you're really not all that passionate about it, it sort of goes by the wayside really quickly. And I was sad there for a moment. And then I realized she'd actually been teaching me so much more. I had so many more lessons from her than sewing. Mm. <laughs> There's... um. There's quite a bit of, because you had young children at the time, right? You had three daughters and, and a son who just arrived during the process of of your mum's journey. And there were some conversations that needed to be had with your young daughters. Because you have this passion for talking about death, how do you approach that with your kids who are, I assume, are now teenagers? Yes, they are. They are teenagers. Uh, I think it's worth noting that I didn't have this passion beforehand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't like mum, you know, mum's terminal illness. I thought, oh, great, great test case here. <laughs> uh, it was it's uh, more, it's the benefit of hindsight, mm. which of course, like so many lessons in life, are through the benefit of the rearview mirror. The fact is, when you lose someone or are about to lose someone you love, there's no happy ending here. It's incredibly sad that there's no avoiding. I did consult professionals because I was also very aware Hmm. that they were young, that my mum was part of their everyday life. She lived at the end of my street, so she was extremely involved. And I I didn't want to scar them emotionally. I wanted to handle it in the correct way. And the the advice that came back was, you you need to be honest and you need to play it by ear. You need to read the signs of your children. And it was remarkable how they all handled it all very differently and they're all very close in age but my eldest at the time was so stoic and then completely lost it and in the book I I remember writing that as a way of just trying to grasp at straws to try and console her I offered her a coke and she screamed at me that she didn't want a coke you know nothing was going to make her feel better ever again and I was really worried. I was, I was worried. And all uh, my youngest child was under one. But the other three, the three girls, we had decided to all go and buy, I'd take them separately. They would buy a bunch of flowers for Nana and a small gift. And they would take their own cars and they would have time with her alone. Mm. And, and that's what we did. And, you know, my third child, who was only three at the time, uh, just wanted to sit on her nana's bed and eat lollies. 
and which was probably to be expected. And uh, one of my other daughters actually found it quite scary and didn't want it to be left alone with her. Mm. But they all chose beautiful cars and, and ironically, Mackenzie, who was uh, I think six or seven at the time, when I went to take to get her her card, she chose not a get well, not a thank you, but a goodbye card. Mm. So they're they're acute awareness of it, and but you know there's there's some bits that you got to laugh too, like when they are on their way to swimming lessons, and one child said to the other in the back of the car, "If I don't cry when Nana dies, can you bite me?" Yeah. Because I want to be able to cry. So out of out of the mouths of babes, and 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 even when another's interpretation, we're all sitting on the bed one morning together, and the end we knew was going to be within the next week or two. And one of the children snuggled next to me and said, "What happens when you die?" And before I could even start, child number two jumps in and says, "I I know I know what happens when you die." They dig a hole in the ground and they put you in like a guitar case <laughs> and then they put you in the ground and they put a sign on top that says, Nana is in here. <laughs> <laughs> and for someone that had no idea what happened, she, she wasn't far off the mark except, mm. except that mum was cremated. Uh, but that was her perception. So there's no right, there's no wrong and so much of, People's fear, whether it be an adult or a child, is just being able to listen and acknowledge that fear. And then suddenly it's no longer a fear. Mm, Absolutely. Now, you mentioned before advanced care planning, and uh, I understand you're associated with that organization. Can you talk about that a bit? Yeah, so I'm an ambassador for Advanced Care Planning Week, which is a federal government initiative Mm -hmm. which encourages people who fill out a document or have a conversation with a loved one that indicates their medical choices in the event that they they cannot make them themselves. And the statistics show us that 85% of Australians will die of a chronic illness, not suddenly. Mm -hmm. So that's a fairly large proportion of us that have ample time to make those wishes clear. Mm Unfortunately. Beyond the vast majority, we'll never do that. Yeah. And that, as I mentioned before, ends up with unnecessary intervention and decisions that then have to be made under pressure. And decisions like that are far worse made under pressure. Conversations about dying are far worse under pressure and when it's imminent, Mm. which is why I think conversations when you're well and able is the way forward. Absolutely. Now, Kelly, you're also the host of the Upfront About Breast Cancer podcast. This was something you helped develop, you said. Can you tell us the story of that one? So my mother did die of breast cancer, although the book's not about the breast cancer. So I began work with Breast Cancer Network Australia, which provides free support to all Australians with breast cancer. They don't do any sort of research. So they're there to inform and connect those who have just been diagnosed, those who are undergoing treatment and post-treatment as well. It's it's a massive network and not surprising given that 20,000 Australians are diagnosed every year with the disease. So Upfront About Breast Cancer, the podcast, was designed to offer a place to listen to real people, real stories, 
And to answer the questions that you're either too afraid to ask in a medical setting or just through the sheer gravity or busyness of life, you forget to ask. And there's nothing like hearing somebody else's story and finding that it's similar to yours and that you you feel less alone. So they're very it's very much based on real life experiences and it also incorporates a medical professional in just about all of the podcasts that gives advice and demystifies a lot of the technical jargon too to help you navigate the health system or the path that someone with breast cancer is on and there are so many paths to be on too. Kelly, you mentioned the episode with with Jules Domigan was a a great one. Can you talk about that episode a bit? Yes. So again, uh, of all the episodes, and they're all very powerful, all the stories are really powerful. But again, end of life is is a topic that's tough and and it's like the elephant in the room. No one wants to go there. Mm. And whilst breast cancer survival rates are amazing, we still lose more than 3,000 women every year to the disease. Mm. So it, it's, it's real. It's, it's an issue. The end-of-life conversations are extremely important. Now, Jules was uh, 34 when she was diagnosed with breast cancer. She was pregnant at the time, and she had triple negative breast cancer, which is predominant in women under 40, and the prognosis is poor. So once she was diagnosed, it was unlikely to have a happy ending, but that didn't stop her giving everything to it. So the podcast that we did with Jules was about end of life because her treatment had stopped and she was in palliative care. And that was two years on from her diagnosis. And what was really powerful about that conversation with Jules was that she wanted people to know that to talk about dying, to talk about palliative care, to be in palliative care didn't mean you were giving up hope because you should never give up hope. But she also felt that it was almost foolish not to make sure that her choices had been heard and were recorded so that in the event that she didn't get a miracle, that everyone could carry out her wishes. And her daughter was 18 months when Jules died, and she actually died a week after the podcast. Oh. But she was prepared. Ready? No. But prepared, yes. And that great gave her enormous comfort. And, and the big takeaway I took from Jules, because she was so young, and, and it's not just a, not a happy ending. There's, it was just cruel. It was tragic. But what she wanted her family and friends to know and what she wanted to achieve by doing that podcast was to say to others, you know what, talking about death and preparing for it won't make it happen any quicker. Hmm. And that had a really profound effect on me too. And, And it's the one thing that I would say to anyone talking about it, though fearful, though uncomfortable, though it makes you feel vulnerable, it does not make it happen one second earlier than it's going to. Yeah. It's, it's funny how simple it sounds when you say it out loud, but that is a, it's just this thing about talking about death that people think you, inv- you invoke the name death and it comes sooner, but you're right. It has no bearing on when you go. No. The, the way that you guys talk in that podcast is so, is so blunt and direct. It's, it's really 
it's nice to listen to when um, I think you said something like, you're at the pointy end now, aren't you, Jules? Yep, I'm definitely at the pointy end. I guess there's many different ways to have those conversations, but it's nice to, to imagine that you can have that conversation with a slice of humour as well. It doesn't just have to be doom and gloom. After that podcast, it, it did go down very, very quickly, as sometimes happens, even when someone does have a terminal illness. It, it can end quite dramatically, and it did. And she poetically, but equally as sadly, died on her 36th birthday. But in the in the week before, she started up a dance challenge from her palliative care bed uh, to all her friends to do all these goofy dances, and uh, she was she was pure joy. Hmm. She really was. She was pure joy. But yeah, boy, was she, was she blunt? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you talked about some of the the idea of preparing instead of being ready. Can you share some of the preparations that either Jules or your mum? made before passing away? Well, I think it's all dependent on where you are in your life. Mm. As a young woman with a baby that she was going to leave behind, Jules made sure she had a birthday card for every one of Rory's birthdays until she was 18. She had entrusted a circle of women with whose qualities she admired and basically made them fairy godmothers for a specific character, you know, for truth, for honesty, and they all got given a charm bracelet and made boxes to make sure that while she's not here, she will still be part of of Rory's life. She recorded videos. For my mother, it was completely different. Her children were grown and, you know, a lot of mum's accents, were more the affairs in order. Uh, she'd put a lot of stuff into boxes. She said who she, you know, what she wanted thrown out. There was still a lot of, no one ever gets to tidy it up as neat as a pin. But the, something is better than nothing. And all the big decisions for us were made. So, and it's very different. If there's, if there's still one remaining parent, then they carry on, whether it be in the family home. It, so everybody's circumstances are different. For me and for mum, it was where, what do you want to be, what do you want to wear when you die? She was specific that she did not want a viewing. That was it. She didn't want anyone going to the crematorium. And she was also adamant that she didn't want visitors in the last remaining weeks of her life. She wanted to keep it close. Other people want to be able to say goodbye. And I think that's the one upside of a, of a terminal illness is that you can somehow find the good in goodbye and that is a real gift that you don't really appreciate until later and you understand that being able to say goodbye to someone, whether it is literally saying goodbye or whether knowing that it's likely to be one of the last times you will connect, whether it's just through holding someone's hand or or dropping them a note, it, it really goes a very long way to the end of someone's life and being able to say, to know in your heart that this is possibly the last time versus tragic accidents or, you know, unforeseen circumstances where there's no preparation at all. So I think I would say to anybody, as hard as it can be, preparing, even in small ways, in your way, in your own personal way, will serve you well. Yeah. Kelly, we're just about out of time. We've, we've touched a lot of topics here. Is there anything final you want to share with people maybe who are looking at a, a diagnosis or 
or even just anybody thinking about death? Anything you want to share? Uh, I think it's it really is about looking after the people you love, looking after yourself, making your choices known, and having those important conversations. It's it's a choice, and I don't think you will ever regret having had that conversation. And it's never too late to have it until it's too late. So it, it is a challenge. I, I think there, there is no happy ending. There really isn't. But there is good to be found in, in saying goodbye and preparing. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much for your time today, Kelly. That was fantastic. It's a pleasure. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Aged Care Enrichment Podcast, brought to you by Silver Adventures. If you'd like to find out more, you can visit our website at www.silveradventures.com.au. That's S-I-L-V-R Adventures. And of course, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to make sure you don't miss out on the next one. My name's Ashton Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.